This is MuggleCast, episode 2 for August 14th, 2005. If you haven't finished the sixth book yet, please do not continue listening because there are spoilers abound. Hey guys, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Kevin Steck. And I'm Aris Janitakos. And welcome to this week's edition of MuggleCast, and we have a special guest this week. Yes, you heard right, it's Aris Janitakos from Veritaserum.com. How you doing, Aris? I'm great. How you guys doing? We're pretty good. Pretty good here. Um, as you might notice, Ben Shane has had has had a couple of technical problems, so he's not here this week, unfortunately. But I think we made up for it with Eris being here. He's with us in spirit. He is. He is. Um, so we're gonna start off with our top story and our main topic of discussion this week. Um, it's what WB had, in my opinion, had feared the most. Um, Warner Brothers announced to the company this week that Goblet of Fire received a PG-13 rating for sequences of fancy violence and frightening images. Kevin Steck, what is this going to do to the movie? How How is this going to affect who sees it? Well, I don't think it's going to affect it too much. I think that um, most of the parents have read the books to their children, so they know what to expect. But I do think that... Um, that Warner Brothers' initial intention was to keep it PG, and the fact that they got PG-13 was probably upsetting to them. Um, you know, I, I don't know why they weren't able to keep it PG, but in the end, it's up to the MPAA, and they made their decision, right. unless they go back and edit it. I like how um I like how ComingSoon.com put it. It was basically a slap in the face. Warner Brothers had said their goal was to keep all the movies rated PG, and this one being PG-13 is obviously, I think it's going to help in a way that a lot of teens are going to be more appealed to it instead of, you know, because a PG-13 rating to a lot of people, you know, that's like, you know, American Pie gets that kind of rating. And it, it's so true, yeah. people are going to say, oh, well, you know, it's not going to be what American Pie, but it's going to be more intense. Um Right. Harris, do you have anything to say about that? Yes. Um, personally, I think it'll actually help bring a newer audience, possibly, to the Harry Potter franchise. Because I think most people will see, oh, PG-13, well, you know, it's not PG anymore. You know, obviously, there must be more to it and, you know, a little bit more violent than it was before. Because as the books develop, they have been getting darker. And I think it has been time that they get a PG-13 rating, just because... Book four, there's a death. We have Cedric Diggory die. There's blood violence in it. Somebody's being reborn, this graveyard scene. So it is a little bit more scary, and I think it does, in a way, deserve the PG-13 rating. Now, now, Just as Order of the Phoenix will. Now, do you think that they intended for them to hit that PG-13 mark, or was it um, just the MPAA going against their... Uh their initial intention. You know what? Um, like I said, Emerson asked David Heyman when he when Emerson visited the set of Goblet of Fire, and he talked to him, and David Heyman, who's the producer, one of the producers of Goblet of Fire, actually said that, no, they wanted, their goal was to make all the movies PG. So, I, the MPAA thinks what they want to think, you know, and that's, that's their final rating, and it has to be final, you know. One thing I did find funny, though, is that after the MPAA makes their decision, the movie company has the ability to edit the movie before 
making that like final and just the fact that they made it final at that rating it sort of indicates that they said to themselves you know what I think they were right and I don't think we can cut out the scenes that they want us to cut out to make it PG right exactly I mean you have a death I mean a death pretty much you know that's a given PG-13 rating not to mention there's blood in it there is violent and frightening scenes it's not like it's a cartoon like a Disney movie Bambi you know that's you know she's the mother's getting killed but this is real life see you know there's blood you know somebody's dying you know right before your eyes there's language I think they said in it so I mean I think it's time that the Harry Potter franchise has expanded into a PG-13 rating and I mean Order of the Phoenix is going to be PG-13 it has to be I mean you know you have another death in that book and you have a lot of violence towards the end of the book and it's hard to sugarcoat something like that you really can't change it I mean how do you make a death PG how do you make blood PG you know, it's it's difficult. I mean, you can't really cut out those parts. They're crucial to the plot and to the story. Goblet of Fire was screen tested in Chicago a few weeks back, and someone sent in a report to us, and the person described that there was, it when Cedric died, it was very graphic. Um, Harry carries his dead body, and, you know, you just can't, you know, it's just, it's got to be what it's got to be. Right, you can't right. really change that. And it's not so much that he's that someone dies as much as it is um, the the manner in which they die and the violence involved. There are plenty of movies out there where someone dies, but they candy coat it. Yeah. And I don't think they had the ability to candy coat it. So. No. That's what led to this. So so how about future rating. movies? Order of the Phoenix. There's another another death in that one. Half-Blood Prince, there's another death in that one. I mean, to me, I think uh, this is good. the rest of the movies could be looking at PG-13 ratings. PG-13, Absolutely. yep. And I think Ayers was right. It's about time they grew into that role. Yeah. So it gives them more flexibility as well. I mean, it makes it so that now they can push the boundaries of the PG-13 rating. Right. Because one death is not really that great of a, uh, you know reason to make it PG-13. That's probably what upset WB at that juncture. They they probably hit that and said, wow, we should have put some of the scenes that could have been put in, but we didn't because we wanted to keep it PG. Right. Yep, I agree. Do you think, uh, how about about parents who take their little kids to this? Because there's always a couple of parents who take, you know, eight or nine-year-olds to it because they're into Harry Potter. Will this affect what they see? Will they be going to see this? If they see PG-13 and maybe they haven't read the books, they're just moviegoers, what are they going to do? Well, well, it is parental guidance suggested. So, I mean, I would probably have them read the book first to make sure that it would be safe for their child to see it. It is Harry Potter, and most parents will take their children to see a Harry Potter movie because they do know it's fantasy, and, you know, most of the children do know real life from fantasy. And it's just that there's nothing we can really do. I mean, they had the argument over the spiders and the 
basilisk in the second movie. Yeah, it might be scary to some of the kids, but they can read the book, you know, and imagine it in their head. Sure, it might be a little different, but this is this is what it's all about. You can't really change anything about it. Hey, and I think that there will be some parents that won't bring their children to it. There always will be that group. Even with the PG rating, with the spiders, as you said, there were parents that did complain about that. But I think that so long as the parents have read the book themselves and know what scenes are coming up and follow the general um, outline of the book, they can realize what scenes they need to, you know, lean over to their kids and, you know, touch them on the shoulders and reassure them during those scenes as not to let them get scared. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So I think that pretty much covers that topic. Uh, WB will just have to deal with the PG-13 ratings, and in the end, it's going to help sales. Let's get now, guys. We've we've received such an overwhelming response from this podcast. We're at the last check, number five in iTunes in international stores. We're far up in the top 100. Uh, we just want to thank you guys. the The support has been overwhelming, and we appreciate everyone. You know, tuning in, listening, subscribing, and uh, sending us all the great feedback. We have definitely. Yeah, we've definitely. read. We've read. We've been getting hundreds of emails, and the feedback, all the suggestions. It's it's just it's just big. Kevin, you, you've seen me complain all week. It's just been big. So yeah, definitely. we've taken everyone's suggestions. We have made changes. Um, for one, you should notice our voice voices should be clearer. We're recording this a little bit of a different way this time. A lot of people also ask about transcripts. At this time, we're not really going to be able to do transcripts because that'd just be too much extra work for us right now. Um, we'd also like to thank the people who have done production offers, who have offered to help with production. And um, a lot of people have uh, asked for a mix of hosts, get a couple of girls in here. Um, what you guys don't actually know is um, Kevin's actually a girl. So <laughs> funny. We, funny. That one's already. <laughs> yeah, it's actually Kadena. very funny. I'm Kadena. just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kevin. Um, we still yeah. have you, don't worry. Ben that was a low I'm blow. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I had to do it. All right. For the show, Kevin. For the show. All right. So moving on to our topics of discussion. We this week we're gonna take um, emails, questions we've had from people um, who want to, you know, want us to answer some of their questions. It's gonna fill some time too. Oh, it's gonna fill a lot of time. We have so many questions. Yeah. We have read so all many. your emails. I started replying to them, but then I just realized it takes up too much time. But we are going through them all. We are pulling out people's questions. Um, this first one comes from actually quite a few people. Our, the current poll on MuggleNet asks, uh, which side is Draco on? And Lacey J, 14, from Greenville, Tennessee. Amanda from Ontario, Canada, who's 17. And Mel from Missouri, who's 17, all ask, so who do you guys think, whose side is Draco on? Well, I don't, I don't even think that Draco knows what side he's on at this point. It seemed as, especially in that last scene when Dumbledore was talking to Draco, it seemed as though Draco himself was very confused about what he wanted. He's afraid. And 
Of course. And not only that, he's starting to realize, you know, this isn't fun and games. This isn't um, pranks or anything. This is real life. You're killing people. And I think he's starting to ask himself, is it really worth it? Is it really, you know, going to lead me on the right path? Or am I, you know, going to have to make a big decision and try to break off from Voldemort? Which, as you know, would almost definitely be deadly. Right. Well, I mean, personally... What I think will happen is, yes, Draco is confused. You know, he may be having second thoughts. I think it was a big responsibility for him to prove himself when the first type of proof would have to be killing Dumbledore. I mean, if great wizards couldn't even do it, or Death Eaters, or even Voldemort himself, really, what what makes him think that he can do it? And on top of it all, he is confused, and... Maybe he now realizes, well, you know, is it worth going to Azkaban for? You know, my father's in there. (laughs) His father's powers are going to be draining anyways, you know, in there. And I just don't think that... I think he'll have second thoughts and end up somehow helping the trio and the good side in the end. I have the same feeling. It may take him the whole book. It may take the whole book, but... I think, you know, he'll be there for Harry, Hermione, Ron, and everybody else at the end. He'll surprise everybody. Yeah. So you guys think Draco is going to make a full turnaround? It, mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. Yep. It, I wouldn't say a full turnaround, but I think that some of his actions are going to have a, an effect in the end in helping Harry. He's going to yeah. either do it um, unknowingly or he's going to knowingly go, wait a sec, after I've done all this bad, maybe it's about time to do good. Right. I think it's be, it could be a temporary alliance, you know, help them get to this, you know, a certain point and then, you know, sever ties. You know, kind of like what you see in other stories. It's like the enemy will help to a certain point to rectify a common problem and then, you know, they'll just separate ways after and, you know, not talk to each other yeah. again kind of have a temporary alliance and a temporary friendship then just call it off after whatever has to be rectified is rectified yep draco is very um you know he's obviously lost a lot of fans with this book and he's surprised quite a lot of people Uh, but you guys think he's going to make a full turnaround but i think he's just gotten so deep into trouble that there's no going back for him it's just going to be um now i'm on i'm on the bad side and that's it I mean it's possible and the well the reason why I think he wouldn't do that is that I think he's realizing what's going on a little more if you know what I mean not not to sound crude but it sounds as though he he is realizing that he grew into his spot. He was forced into his spot by his parents, and he's starting to debate whether his parents really are the people who, you know. Yeah, I agree. He's 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 been forced into this. His parents are both on the bad side, right? And, I think. Yeah, you know, his dad's now in Azkaban. Maybe you know he might be thinking, "There's nothing. I've got nothing to lose." Now, looking ahead to book seven, what are, 
what are some possible deaths in book seven? They could relate to the Horcrux. Um, you know, it could almost be Harry. Um, what do you guys think? Who, who's going to kick the can in HP7? I, I actually don't know. I, I think that it's possible that, well, not possible, but highly plausible that some of the order is going to be killed. Um, right. And some of, yep, there's only so many we've seen from the order, so you know it's going to be a select few people. I hate to say it, but I'm not so sure about this whole um, this whole Lupin thing because it seems as though J.K. Rowling was building it up too much, and it concerns me because she she has a habit of building something up like that, as in Sirius's case, and then something happens to that character. So so I mean I think that's a distinct possibility, either Tonks or Lupin. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think. I think personally that McGonagall might get killed um, just because I think she's probably going to be, aside from Lupin, possibly the next person Harry will end up going to. I've been going back and forth. The three people that I think Harry would probably go to is either Mrs. Weasley, Ramus Lupin, or, you know, McGonagall. Yep. You know, those are the three people that I can think he'd look to next, you know, to find advice for. So, you know, those three people, personally, I think will somehow die in the next book or get really Now, now, that brings up another question. Do you think he's actually going to be going for advice, or do you think he's going to do it on his own? I mean, we discussed this in the previous podcast, but I would like your viewpoint. Well, I mean, I think, you know, he's only going to be able to do so much, and I think he's going to definitely need someone else's opinion, especially someone as wise as McGonagall. McGonagall spent a lot of time near Dumbledore, you know, she's familiar with his ways and a lot of the stuff that he knows, she pretty much knows. And she would be the next person that Harry would go to possibly for some advice and maybe even pursue, you know, some more form of training. We think that he is going for his aura training, so you know, maybe she can aid him. She was weakened in the fifth book and um, from all the stuns. So, you know, I don't think she's still as strong as she was. So I think she'd be pretty vulnerable in the seventh yeah. book somehow. Now we're going to get to a few voicemails that people left us. Um, in the middle of the week, we opened up a nice, a nice little way for you guys to send in your voicemails and ask us your questions. So we're gonna play a few of them right now. Uh, see if we can answer them. All right, let's listen to the first one. This is from Peter. It's a question about the prophecy. Let's take a listen. Hi, this is Peter from St. Louis, Missouri, and I was wondering, what do you think the prophecy "neither can live while the others survive" actually means? All right, Kevin, what do you think? What do you think the prophecy means? Okay, well, there's a couple rumors out, not rumors, I should say theories out there. And to be honest, from the beginning, I think it simply meant what it was supposed to mean. I think J.K. Rowling was trying to mislead us. And it simply means that one has to kill the other. The other neither of them can die until that happens. So essentially... Um, Voldemort has to kill Harry, or Harry has to kill Voldemort. There can be no other way they can die. Um, a lot of people are bothered by this because it would mean that Harry and Voldemort would be almost immortal. 
But if you think about that, it's a lot more plausible now that you look at the Horcruxes and Harry's situation. I mean, the Death Eaters have been told not to touch Harry, and also Voldemort has all the Horcruxes. So there's no one to kill Harry right now, and except Voldemort, and any Auror that was going to kill Voldemort would kill him, but he'd still be alive. Right. So, so, so right. I think right. it simply means that, you know, one has to kill the other. I think that's pretty. It's a pretty straightforward statement that J.K. Rowling made. One has to die; I, the other lives. But at the same time, people have been debating about oh, whether yeah. or not it really means. Oh that. yeah, it's a big topic. Um, it is. You know, J.K.R. a queen of deception. All it's right. true. Uh, let... Well, we know, I mean, we know that with the whole thing is, you know, it's sure, if they find all the Horcruxes, okay, he's going to... The only soul that will be left is the one that's in him right now, in Voldemort's body right now. Once Harry kills him, boom, that's it. That's... He'll be gone. But, I mean, I don't think it will be able to be done by wand magic because... You know, you saw what happened, you know, with the two wands. They can't attack each other. So it's either going to be wandless magic that has to happen or some other form of magic or weapon. Definitely. Definitely. All right, so now let's take a listen to question number two. Hi, my name's Dominique. Uh, I would just would like to say I love MuggleCast, MuggleNet. You guys are doing a great job. Um, I was wondering, why did Dumbledore give Snape the DADA post when he knew that the job was jinxed since Voldemort had asked for that post uh, many years before? Um, he tells Harry this, and I was wondering what your, uh, your views were on uh, the issue. Sorry if it's already been discussed, but thanks very much. Well, thank you, Dominique. Glad to hear you like the show. Uh, Kevin, you want to respond to this one? One of the main reasons why Dumbledore gave this to um, Snape was simply because Voldemort was out. He he was known to be out, and he Dumbledore knew that Snape had connections to Voldemort. So obviously, if Voldemort had placed a legitimate jinx or curse on the position, um, he wouldn't use that curse against his own Death Eater. So, it, he Snape seemed like the right person for the job because not only is he connected to Voldemort, but he's guaranteed to be able to keep the position knowing that Voldemort is out. I don't um, know what you guys think, if you understand what I mean. I mean, well, Voldemort I think... wouldn't kill his own Death Eater and... How, uh, yes, he he would. Yeah, he but care. but remember that Voldemort's most loyal servant is Snape. You don't know why, but he is. Well, when Tom Riddle arrived at Hogwarts to ask Dumbledore about teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts, Dumbledore refused. It has been said that he wanted to teach there to acquire a particular item, possibly by the founders of Hogwarts, to make into a Horcrux. We know that he had a passion for trophy collecting, as seen earlier on in the book in A Memory, so it would only make sense to assume that he could have had, he could have been after one of the founder's possessions. 
But since Dumbledore rejected Riddle for the post, no teacher has since been there longer than a year, which means Riddle must have cursed the post. And I think Dumbledore knows about the uh, curse on about to the position, and I think that he probably assumed things would have been rectified before the year was up, before the curse to fully take effect. So, that's my piece on that. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, Tom Riddle was very upset when he was rejected from that job. So, in order to try and get it, yes. you know, in future years, he put that curse on, and it just makes sense. Now, now, do you think that was that was intentional? Dumbledore knowing that Snape and Harry absolutely did not get along? I mean... It seems as though it would be a bad decision, considering that the one, the one class that Harry has got to learn is the one that Dumbledore chooses the <laughs> Harry's most hateful but teacher for. You know, he he hasn't always been you know extremely nice to Harry. He hasn't been like in order of the Phoenix. He was avoiding him often, and I think this sort of relates because. Dumbledore is not going to walk him through. He doesn't really care that Harry's in the same class with Snape because Dumbledore's been giving him his own lessons and been teaching him what's going on. Now, Dumbledore Dumbledore in Book 6 did not teach Harry Defense Against the Dark Arts, but he sure taught him a lot that was probably more worth his while than Snape's uh, Defense yep. Against the Dark Arts yeah, classes. Yeah, that's true. Let's take uh, question three. This is from Michael. Hi, I was wondering if any of you here on MuggleCast, new chapter spinners end, says, I only meant nobody yet has succeeded. Severus, please. You are, you always have been Draco's favorite teacher. My question for this would be, Severus, please, it was the same things that Dumbledore said to Snape before he was killed. Do you think that Snape was acting upon Dumbledore's word? Or was he fulfilling the unbreakable vow and joining the Death Eaters? What do you guys think about that? I think he was doing both. Yeah, I I think that yeah, I agree. Dumbledore and Snape had a pre-set agreement, and the agreement was that if Snape ever was in the position to risk his his spot amongst the Death Eaters. Even if it means killing Dumbledore, he would not do so. He would not risk it at all. Because I think that, and rightly so, that Dumbledore thinks that Snape's position is far more important than Dumbledore's own, which is outside the Death Eaters. You you have inside information through Snape, and you have, I'm sure that Snape will be able to help Harry in some way, if we're correct. Uh, you know, Kevin, I agree with you. That's probably true. But I think that Snape probably made an unbreakable vow with Dumbledore because Dumbledore has put so much trust in the Snape and he trusts him completely and he's told it, he said it to Harry. So I think that... And I think that would explain Snape's confidence in entering the unbreakable vow in the first place with um, Narcissa. Is that how you pronounce it? Um yeah, I, yeah, I think it. that's why he was so confident and so quick to agree to take that unbreakable vow because he knew that he would never enter a situation that would sacrifice Harry's life, you know, over Lord Voldemort's or Draco's. I would be interested in knowing 
and it's possibil- a possibility of asking J.K. Rowling this on a future occasion, what happens to stacked unbreakable vows, meaning if you take one and one conflicts with the other, which takes precedence? Right, and we don't even know if one unbreakable vow can, I mean, if more than one unbreakable vow can even be made. That's true, yep. Exactly. So I think if you made an unbreakable vow with somebody, you'd have to make sure the next unbreakable vow you made didn't contradict the one you made previously. So, you know, if we take... if. But what would happen? What I don't know. Would you die? Because, I mean, you know, you could simply say, it's like, okay, (laughs) I'm going to love you forever. Do you really mean that? If you don't love me, if you say you don't love me, you know, you'll die. Okay, but then can I make an unbreakable vow with somebody else and say, oh, I'll buy you a car when you turn 18. You know, is that a promise? Sure. Yes. Okay, an unbreakable vow. So it's, you know... I think maybe you yep. can have a, multiple unbreakable vows, but we don't know that, so... It's all speculation. Definitely. Alright, uh, let's take uh, another question here. This is from Marissa. J.K. Rowling said something huge would be revealed about Lily Potter. Do you think it's possible that Snape and Lily had a relationship, and that Snape told Voldemort not to kill her? Um, now, this is a good question, because we had learned that in book six, something would be, uh, something huge would be revealed about Lily. And there was nothing really completely clear that we did learn. Yeah, uh, well, Kevin, what do you think? What's funny about it is that I do agree that there was there was definitely something going on between Snape and Lily. Um, I think J.K. Rowling tried to make that clear in her own little way. But at the same time, there's a question of whether it was a relationship or it was a crush. It's possible that Snape was just just had a crush on Lily, and in that case, he he would be just as mad as if he had a relationship with her. You know, it seems like there's those two possibilities are out there, and there's no clear way of telling which one it is. But I do agree that there was something going on between the two of them. I would have to say that it was a crush because um, there's been a lot of there's been some backstory here and there about how uh, Snape and Lily had well f- for one Snape and Lily were both um, into potions. Yep, they were both big on potions, and with that, um, it's completely possible that Snape had a crush on Lily, but now Lily, of course, was always um, into James, which would explain why Snape has, ever since then, up until, you know, Harry's lifetime, he's been so, um, he, he's hated Harry so much, or so um, I, I also think another thing that has been suggest- suggested is what if there was a friendship going on? What if... During potions, Lily and Snape gained a friendship, and through James and Lily getting together, that friendship was either marred or destroyed, and him becoming bitter because of that. I mean, it would make sense because Lily stuck up for Snape in that one scene in the ben- the Penisive, so, you know, that's another possibility. I would have to say it was destroyed because of now James and Lily weren't 
together, so to speak, um, in as when they were in Hogwarts. But, however, I think Lily had the stronger crush on James. So, um, that would have obviously upset Snape, and therefore it would have destroyed the relationship. Definitely. Yep. Yeah, I have no comment on this. I think you guys nailed it. Question number five. This is from Christine. Christine. You slaughtered that, Andrew. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, see, this is the beauty of post-production. Well, you have to... Just for everyone's knowledge, we do slaughter um, pronunciations of names, so but don't you, go too hard on us. You know what? That new pronunciation guide uh, Scholastic updated uh, the other day uh, with all the pronunciations. I was looking at it earlier today. Oh, really? Some, yeah, some of yeah, them. Yeah, that was like, pretty spiffy. It's apparent yeah. I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. All right, uh, let's take uh, this next one from Christine. I have a question about Mr. Ollivander's disappearance. It was stated in the Half-Blood Prince that the Wandmaker went missing or disappeared on page 106. Lupin also made the comment on how, if the other side has Ollivander, it's not good for them. Do you think Voldemort and the Death Eaters have Ollivander? And if they do, how is it going to affect Harry in the Wizarding World? What has happened with Ollivander? Um, he, of course, has had his wand shop in Diagon Alley, and um, he disappeared in book six. Eris, what do you have to say about that? I think that once he realized what's going on, he might have heard the whole Voldemort Harry, you know, story. Obviously, he knows, you know, about the wands connecting and stuff. So, I think it was only a matter of time where he himself may have been hunted to figure out what can happen or how they can break the connection with the two wands. So, I think he just seriously hightailed it out of Diagon Alley and just, you know, relocated or hid somewhere. Yeah, it, well, well, the thing that I think is that there's two possibilities in this situation, and they're both plausible. One, he got kidnapped, which I don't think is as plausible because I believe that Dumbledore would have been a little more nervous and he would have at least told Harry about that. Um, yep. The other possibility is that he realized that he was in danger, and he realized how important he was, and he decided that for the sake of safety of himself and other people to leave Diagon Alley. And I believe that's the more likely of the two. Let's say that the Death Eaters took him, or he got kidnapped. Say they wanted him to give him some expertise in uh, the wand business. Is that is that is that feasible or is that just? I don't think it's feasible. I think the the only way they'd be able to extract that information would be through a curse. I don't think that Ollivander would purposely give that up. Yeah. You know, he he yeah, knows he knows the the value of himself too well to sacrifice that information. He would have to be cursed in order to do it. Definitely. Or he could be a secret keeper. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I feel bad for the guy. I hope he writes me a letter and tells me where he is, because I miss <laughs> him. He's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Alright guys, so I think that wraps up episode two of Muggle Cask.
once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Kevin Seck. And I'm Aris Janitakos. We'd like to thank Aris for uh, making a special appearance on the show today. Uh, you can check him out as well as his his own new show over at VeritasSerum.com with Veritaserum on air. Thanks, Aris, for joining us. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure, and if Ben poops out again next week, uh, you're number one on the list. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> I appreciate it. So you can pray on his technical difficulties. <laughs> Thanks to everybody for listening to this week's show. If you have any questions or comments or wish to view our show notes, please visit MuggleCast.com or MuggleNet.com slash MuggleCast. If you want to send in a voice message to possibly be played on the show, please email an attached wave or MP3 file to voice at staff.mugglenet.com. Soon we'll hopefully have a Skype voice line set up for those of you who wish to can ring in. Join us again next week when we'll be joined by MuggleNet staff member Jamie Lawrence. Thanks again for listening, and in the words of Leo Laporte, another MuggleCast is in the can.